0: Hey, it's Pastor Mike. I want you to stay all the way to the end of this episode to hear more about a great podcast from Time of Grace. And now on to today's episode.
1: The last time we were together, we were walking through the Lord's Prayer and we didn't get to touch on forgiveness because it is such a huge topic. It needs its own series. Therefore, that's why we're here right now. But if you missed out on the Lord's Prayer series, you can go down to the Uh, description box below and click on that to get caught up but today what we're gonna do is talk about how powerful forgiveness is and to start off I want to share a story with you Uh, years ago I was on the phone with an operator from my credit card company and he had made a mistake and I said hey it's okay but to him it was not okay I said it's not a big deal but to him it was a huge deal I said please don't worry about it well obviously he was worrying about it and this was gonna go on and on and on so finally I said hey I forgive you Well, there was this long, awkward silence and he's like, "Uh, thank you, and he hangs up on me. And that was it. That's how powerful forgiveness is. Now, all joking aside, uh, forgiveness is something that we all need. And I wanna make sure that we are working with the same definition. Because forgiveness does not mean you minimize a wrong that you or somebody else did. You are not coming up with excuses to justify it. By no means you're not saying it's okay. True forgiveness, God-given forgiveness, means that God has absorbed that forgiveness. He has taken it away. He has nailed it to the cross. Now, I want to talk about sin. Sin is that thing that you and I do that, that hurts our relationship with God and with the people that surround us. It, it messes up those situations. And what ends up happening is, is sin is very sticky. And what I mean by that is is you carry around the shame and your guilt. And for for some people, it's a lifetime of shame and guilt. And the only way to get rid of that is through God-given forgiveness. That's the only way you and I can move forward. Now, maybe you think that you can't be forgiven, that those sins that keep you up at night, that they are so grievous that God would never forgive you. And I get that. I've been there. Uh, Growing up, I attended church, I went to Sunday school all the time, and as a little kid even, I, I wondered, could God really love me? Could he forgive me? Because I heard about all these heroes of faith, all these men and women who did these amazing things for God, and they were super faithful, and I compared myself to them, like, I'm not like those people. Well, the reality is I was getting the G version of their stories. But once I started reading the Bible on my own, what I figured out was they had some major moral failings. These people were not perfect. And God didn't love them because they were good. God loved them because God is good and God is faithful. And what God did for them and for us is he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the debt of our sins to nail them to the cross to forgive us to take our sins away and the way that you and I access that forgiveness is said here in 1st John chapter 1. It says this, if we come if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So here's the thing. You do yourself no favor if you're pretending like you're perfect, like you're good enough, like you're faithful enough, because you're not. You're a sinner, just like me. We're in the same boat. And so what he says here is that if we confess our sins, if we admit that we are sinners before God, God is faithful and just, and he will remove your sins from you. He will forgive you and purify your conscience. That is God's promise. That is the power of forgiveness, and God always keeps his promises. And I want to share with you a, a story of how that played out in the life of King David. King David is famous for killing the the nine-foot-tall Goliath. Uh, he was one of the most renowned kings over Israel. Uh, he also is the author of many of the psalms that that maybe you love and enjoy, like Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, this great hero of faith, also had some major moral failings. Uh, Did you know that he slept with another man's wife, uh, got her pregnant, and then he lied about it, he tried to cover it up, and ultimately he killed that woman's husband. This guy was a quote-unquote hero of faith. And David lived in his sin for months, he tried to hide it for months, and finally he confessed his sin, but before he did that, he was living in this turmoil. In Psalm 32, he talks about how he, he was overwhelmed with, with shame and guilt and he couldn't sleep at night and his bones were wasting away inside of him until he ultimately confessed. But he needed some prompting to do that. He wasn't gonna do that on his own. So God, in his love, what he did is he sent his prophet Nathan to confront David. Now, obviously, this was a very delicate situation. I mean, you tell the president of the United States that you're a sinner, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a hard conversation. So he's going up to the king of Israel, and before he calls him out, guns a-blazing, he tells him a story about two people. One was a rich man, one was a poor man, and the rich man had lots of flocks of, of uh, lambs and sheep, and the other man only had one little lamb. Well, one day, the rich man has a guest come over to his house, and he wants to feed him some lamb stew. Well, he doesn't want to take from his own flocks, so he goes over to his neighbor, his poor neighbor, takes the one little lamb, slaughters it, and turns it into stew. David hears this, and he is outraged, and he says that man deserves to die for what he did. He He has to pay back four times what he took, and in his rage, Nathan's able to use that, and he turns it right back on David, and he says, and you're the man. David is overwhelmed by the law at that moment. He recognizes his sin and he confesses. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan says some of the most beautiful words in scripture, these powerful words of forgiveness. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, he says, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. David and all the other heroes of faith were not heroes because they were faithful. They were heroes because they, they had faith in God's promises. They believed that God always does what he says he's going to do. And they believed that God took away their sins. The same is true for you. You're a hero of faith. If you recognize that God sent his one and only son to die to take away your sins. And if you confess those sins before the Lord, he is faithful and just and he will remove them from you. Years ago when I was studying to be a pastor, we I was in the seminary and we took a field trip to the local prison. And there we got to hear the testimony of multiple inmates. And one of them was in prison for, uh, for murder, uh, multiple people actually. In fact, he was serving a life sentence without parole. And he stood up in front of us And he said, I deserve to be here, but I also believe that Jesus Christ has forgiven me. And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, the day I get out of this prison is the day I will see Jesus face to face. That is the power of forgiveness. That's the power of forgiveness for David, for the inmate, and also for you. If you confess your sins, you can know that God, our God, is faithful and just and will forgive you. Let's pray. Father, forgive me for all the times I have pretended like I'm perfect, when I'm really not. Uh, Right now, we confess before you, Lord, that we need you. We need our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are so grateful that he has removed our sins from us, that he has used the power of forgiveness to wash our sins away. Thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Have you heard about the unforgivable sin? Maybe you've come up with your own unforgivable sins. Well, what I'd like to do right now is share with you what Jesus says is the one sin that cannot be forgiven. It's recorded for us in Mark chapter three. And Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. So the one sin, according to Jesus Christ, that cannot be forgiven is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now the word blasphemy means to speak against. And if you speak against the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven. And that's what we find in the context of Mark chapter three. Some of the teachers of the law were declaring that Jesus working in the spirit was working by the spirit of the devil. Now they were living in a very unique time in history where many of the Old Testament prophecies were being revealed through Jesus. And those prophecies said about the Messiah, that he would come in the power of the Spirit and he would heal all kinds of people from diseases. He would uh, heal them from demon possession and he would preach these powerful messages. And these teachers of the law were hearing this with their own ears. They were seeing it with their own eyes and yet they were denying it. They were equating the Holy Spirit work with Satan work. And on top of that, they were trying to get other people to believe what they believed. And this is why Jesus so sternly talks to them in in front of the crowd. He tells them that they are about to cross a line that they do not want to cross. In fact, we don't even know if some of them may have actually crossed that line. What we do know is this, is that the one sin that cannot be forgiven is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean for you and me? It means that we should not equate the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives or in anyone else's lives with that of the devil's. Now, the first time I learned about this sin, I went into panic mode. I immediately thought I committed this sin. Um, Oftentimes when I teach on this, inevitably someone comes up to me afterwards and says, Dan, uh, I think I committed this sin against the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm gonna tell you what I I was told personally, is that if you believe, if you are afraid that you've committed this sin, you have not committed this sin, okay? And the reason for that, the reason you can be confident of that is that you wouldn't care if you blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, if you actually had done it, it it just wouldn't bother you one bit. But if you are convicted right now, thinking that maybe you have committed some sin that's unforgivable, because maybe you've been living in unrepentant sin or you've been falling into this pattern of temptation, see that as a good thing. See that as the Holy Spirit prompting you to confess and to bring these sins before the Lord so that you can be forgiven. And this is what I want you to know. You can be forgiven. Now, oftentimes when people read Mark chapter three, they they go right to the unforgivable sin, but what did Jesus say before that? He said, "'Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven "'all their sins and every slander they utter.'" You can be forgiven all of your sins and any slander, any horrible thing you say, will be and can be forgiven by Jesus Christ. That is amazing news because you know what that means? That means that that sin, that sexual sin of pornography, lust, adultery, that sin of addiction to drugs or alcohol, the lies, the the slander, the, the horrible things you've said to other people that you regret can all be forgiven by Jesus Christ. Now maybe in your mind you've categorized them as unforgivable, But let me say this, and and I know this is gonna come off strong, but who are you? What authority do you have to determine what sins are forgivable and what sins are not? The reality is you don't have that power, only God does. And God has determined that every single one of your sins can be forgiven. Now, four years ago, I met a gentleman named Muhammad. He was from Liberia, Africa. And he and his wife uh, were looking for help for their five children. They came across our deaconess. And as he was sharing with our deaconess, uh, it came to light that he struggles with meth addiction. And he asked out loud, can I be forgiven? Well, as I got to know Muhammad's story, uh, I realized that meth was not his only problem, that he was actually using that to cover up the guilt and the shame of other sins that he had committed. Uh, early on in his life, back in Liberia, when he was five or six, he was separated from his family. And just to give you some context, my youngest son is six right now. He's in kindergarten. So he's a little boy. And uh, he was taken away from his family and put into this rebel militia, into the military. I, I don't know if you knew this or not, but still to this day, in some parts of Africa, children are taken away from their homes and handed guns. Well, that's what happened to Muhammad. He was given a gun and he was sent off to battle. And what's Crazy as they would, to give these little boys courage, they would mix up cocaine and gunpowder, they call it this concoction brown-brown, and they'd have them snort it to give them this courage to go out. And he had been in this army for 10 years, but thankfully, by the grace of God, he was reunited with his family at the age of 15. But only God knows what he saw and did in that 10-year period. And, and he asked me in that moment, can God forgive me my sins? And he asked that because he believed that some of the things that he had done were unforgivable. What do you think I got to share with Muhammad in that moment? I got to remind him that what Jesus said, truly I tell you, every sin that you've committed can be forgiven and and every uh, horrible thing you've ever uttered or said can also be forgiven. And so right then and there, I got to tell Muhammad The Lord Jesus Christ has taken away his sin. He's nailed it to the cross. He is forgiven. That very next Sunday, Muhammad, his wife, and his five children received the gift of baptism. They had their sins washed away. They had been given that assurance and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Muhammad had not sinned. He had not blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. In fact, God and his love pursued him and gave him his Holy Spirit. And so my question to you is, can you be forgiven like Muhammad? Well, don't take it from me. Take it from the one who has the power over the devil and his demons. Take it from the one who gets to determine which sins are forgivable and which ones are not. Take it from Jesus Christ who has declared in Mark chapter 3 that every sin you've ever committed, whether in thought, word, or deed, can be forgiven by his blood shed on the cross. You are forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, it's um, time and again, I have categorized sins as unforgivable and I've lived in those sins and I'm so sorry. And today I repent of that and I recognize that your forgiveness is so much bigger than, than what I have done wrong. And thank you for your word that assures me of that. It's in your name we pray, amen. Satan, the accuser, is always looking for ways to make us feel guilty for sins that Jesus has already forgiven, that he has nailed to the cross. And that's why I love this verse in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 7, verse 19. The prophet says about the Lord, You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That means God in his love and his mercy has taken your sins, your iniquities, your, your past mistakes, your, your rap sheet, your crimes that you've committed, and he has taken them and put them in the depths of the sea so far down that not even a nuclear sub could go there unless it would implode. That's the good news, your sins are forgiven. But that news will not deter the devil from trying to get you on a fishing trip, to put a pole in your hands and to get you to go fishing for those past sins. And in that boat ride, he'll ask you questions like, do you remember when you did that? Do you remember when you did this? And you call yourself a Christian? Yeah, no, you're a sinner. You're a screw up. You're, you're messy. And uh, you know what they say, once a cheater, always a cheater. Once a drunk, always a drunk. Once a liar, always a liar. Once a this, always a that. And Satan's very good at what he does. Uh, when we hear those accusations, there seems to ring true of, of there's this inkling of, wow, there, there's, that makes sense to us. And, and of course, it's gonna sound good because Satan is the father of all lies. He's not gonna tell you the truth. He's gonna manipulate the truth to take you down this path. And every time you go down with him on these these boat rides down memory lane, what's the end result? Shame, guilt, fear, despair. The exact opposite of what Jesus wants for you. What Jesus wants for you is peace. And thankfully he is well aware of Satan's tactics. And so what I want you to do is visualize that as you're going on this boat trip with the devil sitting there and handing you a pole, I want you to visualize that when you get to that fishing hole, that there's this massive sign that there's no way it could have gotten there unless God put it there, and on that sign in big red letters, what does it say? No fishing. No fishing. You don't get to go back and dredge up those sins. In fact, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he did not hand you a permit and say, yep, you can go back and, and pull these up anytime you want. No, he did not do that. What did he do in his compassion? He has taken your sins, your iniquities, and he has thrown them into the depths of the sea. No fishing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking my sins, our sins, down to the bottom of the depths of the seas where they they have been washed away, forgotten forever, never to be resurfaced. Uh, Lord, when the devil wants to take us on that trip again to Uh, dredge those sins back up. Help us to visualize, help us to say out loud, no fishing. Amen. One of the main messages, if not the main message of the Bible is that God has forgiven us all of our sins through sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and rise from the dead. And the expectation then is that we pay that forward, that we forgive others that have forgiven us. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you're probably aware of the Lord's Prayer, or it's also called the Our Father. And in that prayer is embedded this petition. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says these uh, very powerful words He says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So, I don't know if you realize this or not, but that is probably the hardest prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, because ultimately we're asking him to forgive us like we forgive other people. Meaning, when you pray this prayer, you're either saying, forgive me because I forgive other people, or don't forgive me because I don't forgive other people. Now, the reason that Jesus has this embedded in this prayer is because he knows our hearts. He knows how we love mercy, we love forgiveness when we mess up, we we avoid punishment at all costs, we don't want it. And so yeah, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us. But when someone hurts you, is that your prayer for them? That they would be forgiven? That you wouldn't be offended by how they've treated you? That That you would let it slide, that you'd be merciful to them? Or is your knee-jerk reaction to get revenge, to seek to hurt that person, to make sure that they feel the pain that you experienced? More often than not, we're not praying this prayer like we're supposed to pray it. And part of that, the reason that we don't like to forgive is is sometimes we assume that, well, if I forgive them, then I'm just giving that person a license to, to hurt me again. Or maybe we assume that when we forgive that person, it's, it's not gonna change them anyway, so, so what's the point? Or maybe we're, we're showing that we're weak and we're empowering them to, to come back and, and do whatever they did. Uh, sometimes when we withhold forgiveness, what we're ultimately doing is holding that person in our debt. And we see this a lot in family dynamics where a parent is hurt by their child, and so they punish them by withholding good gifts and quality time, and, and they withhold favors from their children. When we withhold forgiveness from other people, we, we give ourselves the impression that we're the good guy and they're the bad guy. And, and maybe we convince ourselves that we are better than they are and, and therefore God will love us and he'll forgive us because they're such evil, horrible people. Now, that seems logical. That seems practical. It seems like that's how the world should work, especially because some of you have been hurt in, in very bad ways and ways that I, I couldn't even imagine. And yet Jesus does not mince words here. In fact, at the very end of the Lord's prayer, he says this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. It's pretty clear. Now, I want to be very uh, cautious here that we don't take God's word out of context. I I don't want you thinking that, okay, that you have to forgive all these people and then God will ultimately forgive you. That's not how it works. You are already forgiven. You are already a child of God. But now the expectation is, is that you pay that forgiveness forward. And if you don't, then God will withdraw his forgiveness from you. Here's the point. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. That's our calling in life. And and Jesus modeled this for us. when he was hanging on the cross, he had been beaten, he had been abused by his enemies. They had stripped him of his clothes. They were relentlessly yelling at him and calling him names. And at that moment, he could have called for divine justice upon these people. He could have asked God the Father to destroy them with, with lightning or hail or whatever. But what does he do? In that impossible moment, he prays for them. He says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And in the same way, Jesus prays that prayer over us. By nature, we were enemies of God. You and I were against the Lord, and yet he didn't pray for divine justice against us, he prayed for mercy. He asked that the Father would forgive us because we didn't know what we were doing, and that's what he's done. And now again, we're called to pay that forward. Right after this happened, in the book of Acts, we find out about a gentleman named Stephen. He was a follower of Jesus and he ended up preaching to the very crowd that had crucified Jesus on the cross. Well, they didn't like his sermon and they were angry with him and against him and they started pelting him with stones to the point where he was dying. And he didn't pray for divine justice against his enemies. He looked up to heaven and he said, Lord, please don't hold this sin against them. Why? Because Stephen knew how much the Lord had forgiven him. He knew how, how much he had had his sins forgiven, and so he was asking God to pay that forward. Back in high school, I read a book called The Hiding Place. It was written by a lady named Corrie Ten Boom. She lived during World War II. And she, uh, she and her family actually used their home to hide over 800 Jewish refugees uh, to protect them from the Nazis. Well, eventually they were found out Arrested and taken to uh, concentration camps. There, her sister died, her father died, and thankfully, she was eventually let go on a clerical error. But before that, she had seen atrocities and experienced atrocities no one should ever go through. But what got her through that entire process was holding on to Jesus, holding on to his promises. And when she eventually got out and the war was over, she made it her goal to go around and preach this message of forgiveness. And she tells the story that when she was in Germany and she was talking to a small crowd, afterwards, this large gentleman approached her with his hand held out, a big smile on his face, and she recognized him immediately as one of the guards at the prison. And he asked her, he said, Fräulein, after the war, I became a Christian. I know I'm forgiven, but I would love to hear it from you. And she says that in that moment, all she felt was hatred. She remembered everything he had done and and there was not an ounce of forgiveness in her body. And then those words from Matthew chapter 6 came flooding into her mind, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. You will not be forgiven if you do not forgive. And she prayed in her mind, she said, Lord, I can't forgive him, but forgive him through me. And in that moment, she said, something like electricity started to flow through her body. And not only did she reach out her hand, but she grabbed that man and gave him a bear hug. And and in each other's arms, they wept as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called by God as forgiven people to forgive people. And when you find that difficult, when you find that hard, pray that prayer that Corey prayed. Lord, I can't, but you can through me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as your children, as part of your family, you've called us to do what seems impossible at times, to forgive other people when they've sinned against us. But Lord, we can only do the impossible because you've done that first and foremost for us, and now we ask that you do it through us. That whatever pains, whatever hurts that we've experienced, Lord, help us to have your heart for our enemies. In your name we pray, amen. How do you maintain unity, harmony, and peace with other people, especially other Christians? Well, first of all, you need to remember that you're teammates with these people. You're on the same team working towards the same goal. Or you can think about it this way, you're part of the same family. You're brothers and sisters in Christ. But what happens when one of those teammates treats you like an opponent? Or what happens when one of those family members treats you like an enemy? Because it's gonna happen if it hasn't happened already. Well, years ago when I was a teen going to a Christian high school, uh, we Christians didn't always act like Christians. Uh, sometimes we could be pretty nasty to each other. And instead of looking to be reconciled and to fix what we had broken, more often than not, we would retaliate. That we would hurt each other. And as they say, hurt people hurt people. And, and ultimately we wouldn't seek unity, we would seek division. And unfortunately, things haven't changed much since I was a teen, except for the fact that now you can get back at people through Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, whatever other app you can download to your phone. It's very convenient, it's very easy to blow up your relationships, it's easy to destroy somebody's reputation, and uh, you can do it from the safety of anywhere, right? But if you retaliate instead of seek reconciliation, and if you do it in person or online, what you're doing is you're falling into the devil's trap. Because the devil is all about dividing, whereas Jesus is all about uniting. He's all about maintaining unity. Now, this ability to reconcile does not come to you or me naturally. It's something that we need to be taught. And that's what Jesus teaches for us in Luke chapter 17. This is what he says. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. So if someone hurts you, the first thing you should do is not retaliate. You shouldn't get on Facebook and, and, and complain about it. In fact, he doesn't even say you should forgive them. The first thing that Jesus says is you should rebuke that person. In Matthew chapter 18, he clarifies. He says, pull that person aside. Just between the two of you, have this conversation. And when you rebuke them, that means you call them out. You say, what you did was wrong. It hurt me. You need to stop. And then, hopefully, that person recognizes what they did was wrong, they repent, they say they're sorry, and then you get to say you're forgiven. Now, when you say that, you're not saying that it's okay, you're not minimizing what they did to you. No, you are declaring what God says is that that sin has been absorbed by God, it's been taken away, it's been nailed to the cross. That's how you maintain unity within this family of believers. And honestly, this is the the message that convinced me that I wanted to be a pastor. Now in that same high school, uh, we always had evening devotions and the pastor was preaching on this very topic. And that evening I was hanging out in the student union and my little sister came running in, weeping, crying, and telling me that this guy in her class had been making fun of her, saying all these mean and nasty things. And empowered by this message, I went up to that kid, not to retaliate, not to punch him in the teeth, I went up to him and and you gotta get this, I am not a confrontational person. I do not like confrontation at all. But I went up to him and I apologized. I said, Look, I've been talking about you. I've not been talking to you. But what I need you to know is that your jokes are not funny, they are hurtful, they are harmful, you need to stop. Well, this kid is a foot and a half taller than me, and he could have pummeled me if he wanted to. But he look at he looks at me with these big sad eyes and he says, I had no idea. I am so sorry. And right then I got to say, you're forgiven. It was amazing. Like when you seek reconciliation, you will experience miracles. This is not a fun process. It's it's not easy. But when you do what God calls you to do, you will see amazing things. Now, what happens when you go through this awkward process of, of rebuking someone, they repent, And you get to restore them through forgiveness. And then they go and sin again. And again. And again. Jesus addresses that. He says, Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. So Jesus gives this scenario where someone hurts you seven times in a day. They come back, you've rebuked them, they repent. And he says, you have to forgive them every single time. You know, normally we think three strikes and you're out. (laughs) But seven times, oh my goodness. And the apostles had it right. Jesus' followers said, increase our faith. And that literally is the prayer that we need to be praying when we are caught in that situation. And when I pray that prayer, more often than not, what Jesus reminds me, he says, Dan, how many times have I forgiven you in a day? And I think about that and I realize, wow, it's way more than seven times in one day. And so the Lord says, I want you to do the same for those that have hurt you, pay it forward. Because this is how Jesus maintains unity within this family, within this team unit. It's through repentance and forgiveness. And this is how he maintains unity between you and your family, between you and your spouse, between you and your kids, between you and fellow Christians. Jesus says, once again, Luke 17, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. And keep doing this. And so I've boiled it down to four Rs. If someone hurts you, rebuke them. If they repent, restore that relationship through forgiveness, and repeat. So rebuke, they repent, you restore, and repeat. And when you find that difficult to do, which you will find it very difficult to do, you pray that prayer that the apostles prayed, Lord, increase my faith. Let's pray. Lord, there are people that have hurt me in my life, um, and I unfortunately have been holding grudges against them. And I pray right now by the power of your spirit that you would increase my faith, that you would help me to let go, just like you have let go of my sins, help me to forgive like you have forgiven my sins. Um, And in that process, I'm not saying that what they did is okay. I'm not minimizing it. I'm saying it has been nailed to the cross. Thank you, Jesus, amen.
0: Thanks for making it all the way to the end. I promise you a quick look at another podcast from Time of Grace that I think you'll like. It's a really fresh look at the Bible from my brother in Christ, C.L. Whiteside. But rather than listen to me again, here's a sample clip from C.L. himself. Enjoy, and I'll see you next week. That was not racist. Ooh, that was so racist. You know he only got the job because he's black. Hey, low-key, he's a rapist. Uh, I didn't get the position because I identify as a she. Have you ever thought people are too comfortable just throwing this type of stuff out there and they don't care if what they're saying is accurate or true? Because, boy, oh, boy, I see that on social media all the time when I go in there. Social media has really helped everyone have some form of power and voice that can be heard. But... It's a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword in a lot of ways. Because someone could do something like post on social media that they got pulled over by police. The double-edged sword is some automatically assume that that person broke the law. Well, he must have been speeding. He must have done something wrong. And they never even think like racism could have happened. Or in some cases, some don't even believe racism exists. Then you have the other group or another group of people that everything is racist and of course it's not and i'm not just talking about with police but it's real so you have one group that denies the facts and then you have another group that makes stuff up now both of these groups they make everything so hard to trust and they just jack and mess everything up join me cl white tide on my podcast the non-microwave truth